Welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live. It's going to be a monstrously good show today, I can guarantee you that. Uh, but first, I have some important news about our show in two weeks' time. As many Lutopians know, Peg and I are moving out of Baker Street. And the move is uh, nothing if not intense. Mm, we're trying really hard to get a decent internet connection in our new place, but so far, it's a bit frustrating. It's looking as if the show planned for Sunday the 23rd of October, that's two weeks' time, will not take place. Because we won't have adequate broadband installed by then. So, no show in two weeks' time. Sorry, guys. However... By way of compensation, we have a rip-snorting show today for you. Our first guest is one of Britain's most acclaimed publishers. She talent-spotted the boy in the striped pyjamas, which alone is enough to put her into the publisher's premier division. But of course, there's no end to her talent. I'm delighted to welcome back the fabulous Bella Pearson. great Litopian guest we've got as a counterpoint to Bella. You've seen him on ITV delivering the news, now we've got him here delivering his views. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Andy Dickinson. So two brilliant guests, five great submissions, and of course, one irrepressible genius room. Let's roll. Here we go. Straight into our first submission of the day. It is, of course, as you know, YA and children's today. That's what we're focusing on. Now, our first submission is called My Life Burning in the in the Moonlight. I'll say that again because I kind of screwed it up. My Life Burning in the Moonlight. That's an unusual title. Do you like it? It's growing on me. I, I have to tell you, it's growing on me. Japanese coming-of-age novel. Don't get too many of those. It's by Will. Let me read you Will's blurb. In the late 1930s, Hidai, thank you so much for the pronunciation there, Hidai and Tomasu are the cosseted sons of Madame Narahashi, who owns a resplendent inn high above Nagasaki. Madame Narahashi has raised her boys in the Western manner, but as the Japanese tide turns towards war, the boys are viewed as suspicious, Probably traitorous. War breaks out. Their lives draw narrower, their schools more militaristic. When Tomasu graduates to third high school, Tomasu is press ganged into becoming a Tokatai, a suicide pilot. I'm just, I'm just trying to work that out. When Tomasu graduates to third high school, Tomasu, is that right? Or is that the, the other kid? I'm not sure. Tomasu is pre press ganged into becoming a Tokatai, a suicide pilot. So lots to think about in that. Let me tell you about the author. Um, and this is what Will says. I'm an old white man. <laughs> That's not a great beginning. <laughs> I'm an old white man writing the voice of an 11-year-old Japanese boy. I won't attempt to defend this. Okay, we well, may talk about that in a minute. The book itself will accomplish that, or not. I've visited Japan more than 50 times since 1985 and have written a previous no uh, novel, Realia, that's also set in Japan. I've published four novels, The Swells, Realia, A Visit Home, and Terre Haute. My non-fiction books are Anta Antigone, Undone, Juliet Binoche, Anne Carson, Eva van Hove, and The Art of Resistance. And 
Death and Venice, a queer film classic. I should write something homely, cutesy about my life till now, but don't feel up to it. <laughs> well, that's very honest. Honest, direct, and um, here's a wonderful reading from Mel. My Life Burning in the Moonlight Written by Will Read by Mel Chapter 1 My brother Tomasu didn't see me until I was 11 years old. I can pinpoint the day it happened. The family quarters are in turmoil. Our neighbor, Mr. Najita, will soon arrive to accompany his son Koji and Tomasu down into the city for the welcoming ceremony at Third Higher School. Since lunchtime, Tommaso has stayed buttoned into the stiff tunic of his new uniform, despite the sticky heat. But his white gloves have gone missing. Mother has dispatched several of the maids to search for them in a mime of frantic concern while she remains lost in a fit of self-recrimination. If I hadn't waited until the last minute to buy your uniform, Tomasu, the shop would have been able to sell me a dozen or more. I'm such a selfish mother. In my preoccupation with fitting out the new wing, I let my son's needs slide from my attention. When at last I did arrive at the shop, Mr. Nishi informed me there remained but a single pair. More are on order, but in the meantime my negligence means my elder son's hands must go naked while that one pair is laundered. Am I not the worst mother in all Japan? In all the known world, Tomasu murmurs. Miko, the youngest and newest of the maids, enters triumphantly, carrying a pair of white gloves. What was that, Tomasu? Mother whips the gloves from Miko's plump hand. You're the worst mother in all the known world. The unknown as well, I expect. Mother holds up the gloves. They're long and in the narrow light, phosphorescent. Miko, these are kid for evening dress. She shakes them in her face. Rows of buttons, tiny as milk teeth, click together. Wherever did you find them? In Madame Wei's room, Miko lowers her head, heavy cheeks trembling. Madame Wei and her husband come from Shanghai each spring, always occupying the Three Pines suite in the mountain wing. Return them at once. You were only to search the family and servant quarters. Whatever will Madame Wei think if she finds them missing? She'll think us very shoddy, Tomasu offers, and she and her collaborationist husband will never come again. Please, Tomasu, couldn't you help a little? We're turning the topsy-turvy for you, and all you do is utter sarcastic remarks. I assure you, Mother, no sarcasm was meant. This is a sham place, a facade, an illusion, where hospitality is offered in exchange for wads of yen notes. As with all artifice, we're bound to be found out sooner rather than later. Have I got time for a cigarette? Of course you haven't time, Mother of Flair. Mr. Najita and Koji will be arriving at any moment. She hurries across the room. Summer kimono sleeves waft after her like coy tails. When she pushes open the paper screens, heat and brightness barge in at once. Slipping out of the room, I hurry along the boardwalk that edges the family garden, and into the room Tomasu and I share. My futon, neat as a sealed envelope, lies on the half of the floor covered with fragrant straw mats. On Tomasu's side, chaos reigns. The counterpane and sheets of his high Dutch bed have been half stripped away to reveal an expanse of mattress ticking. A full ashtray spills out onto the turkey carpet, which is scattered with magazines and tottering towers of books. From under the bed, a single white finger protrudes. I lift up the bedclothes. Poking out of a green book with a pointy-headed man on the cover 
are Tommaso's white ceremonial gloves. He's been using them as a bookmark. I slip them on. How cool the white cotton. The mother-of-pearl buttons shine like ice. Three lines of white stitching on the back of each glove. Bird tracks in snow. Thank you very much, Mal. You got us off to a good start with our reading, definitely. I'm going to check out... World building is interesting, says Katie. Thank you, Katie. I'm going to check out what the genie is saying first. Um, and take it from the top. Reactions to the title. I, I quite like that title, actually. Um, and I think I think it's fair to say the geniuses do too. Uh, Mel says, title is quirky, like it. Um, Hannah says, like the title. L.A. Thomas uh, would prefer the title Burning in the Moonlight. But it's still close. <clears throat> Blurred a bit full, says Barbara. Nice to have Barbara here with us, of course. Um, Glenn likes the title. Um, quite long-winded blurb, says Hannah. Needs to be snappier for YA. I, I think, I, I, I'm not entirely sure this is YA. I mean, the genre is, is a Jap Japanese coming-of-age novel. Does that mean YA or not? I'm not sure. I think we have to be careful about assuming that. Uh, Will's prose was a joy to read, says Mel. Mel really likes uh, Will's uh, prose. Matt says it starts well, but I wonder about the tensing. Uh, and Johnny says, wasn't that a Sherpa? It's quick off the mark, it's hard, Johnny. Um, rows of buttons, tiny as milk teeth, says Mel. This is wonderful. It is. You can see that, can't you? Uh, Vagabond says, I'm interested. Good job. James says, not feeling emotion. I know what you mean. I'm not either. Uh, and Mel says, love Tomasu's sarcastic teen voice. And Glenn says, a carpet made of turkeys. I don't know about that. Nice. Shall we see what uh, what Bella thinks? What was your first reaction to that, Bella? Well, I think that writing is really fabulous. Um, I thought it was excellent. I think I would agree that I don't think it's... To me, it doesn't sound like a YA novel. I would have thought, if I'd read this with no other context or understanding or blurb, I would have thought it was an adult book, actually. Or yeah. you're, you're looking at this, the perspective of uh, the younger brother rather than the teenager. So that's what the first thing that struck me was really whose story is it? Yes. Um, is it Thomas Thomas is obviously the teenager, or is it the, um, the onlooker who is the child whose emotional sort of life we're presumably going to hear about? Yeah. Um, and I, I was very muddled as well. I think somebody else was in the chat room about that first line, about having seen him. Um, I, I thought that was what it meant, that he'd never seen him before, and of course then you realise they've shared a room. So I think that clarity... Just needed, yeah. uh, needs a bit more clarity there. Yeah, and that's just like your numbers. Oh, you like the writing? You think you think you, the craft is, is really good? Yeah. yeah, I I'm, I, okay. I I actually do like the title. I, I've thought about that. I've gone you know, hot, both hot and cold on it. Um, ultimately, though, I'm not sure it's going to find its commercial market. Do you think it will, Bear? I think it's a little slow starting. For, mm. You know, you really have to kind of get in there, right in there with the young adult book, and um, it felt a little bit too slow to start with yes. um, and commercial i'm not sure i um uh, not from what i've read so far yeah um, yeah it reminds me a little bit of uh, something that was very popular some years ago across the nightingale floor might talk about that more in a moment andy um yeah i was a little bit uh stymied by the fact that my cat jumped up on the keyboard within oh, the first few right. sentences um did, so I did, wasn't really did, sure did he or she doing. like it he or she always <laughs> because oh, he or she is making my life completely indiscriminate. All right. 
Um, it's a he, that one. But yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a bit ambivalent about the title. The blurb, I thought it was a great example of a blurb that I didn't think was particularly well written, but it gave me a really good setup. I was yeah. really interested in what yeah. was to come, but with the setup you've got. So I've kind of marked it quite high there and with the bang, with that in mind. But I completely agree that it doesn't really read YA to me anyway. Yeah. Um, it felt a bit stagey. I thought there was a lot of set dressing. I felt a little bit distance, and there were some moments where the dialogue was was kind of shouting exposition a little bit. But I agree, there was some really nice prose in there. It does have a voice, um, and and yeah, there were little bits like that ending with like you know, bird tracks in the snow. The snow was just lovely. So yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, I, I'm picking it out from the chat room. Ton of bang available in this story, but this is a slow walk. I think that's right. I'm very interested in this. I, I think there is, you know, serious commercial potential. But I don't, I, you know, potential being the operative word. I'm not actually seeing it brought out at the moment. Uh, Hannah says, "Where's the story going?" Um, Eve says, "Writing does have an oriental flavour, and it does, doesn't it?" Lex prose is beautiful. Glad to see more of a culture. I love to study, but where is the story from the blurb? And Monsieur Dupré says this is a slow burn, maybe too slow for YA. And of course, will my world say, well, actually, it wasn't YA. In which case, we would maybe it's on the wrong show. I don't know. It doesn't make that much of a difference, actually. Oh, is that Will? Yeah, it's Will. Hello, Will. <laughs> You're okay. So Will's not sure either. Let's discuss that right now with our wonderful publisher, Bella. So the author is, is with us. We always love it when the author joins us live. And you've just heard Will say he's not quite sure who the reader is either. Is that is that normal? What advice would you give? I'd say, I mean, I, I think this feels, as a coming-of-age novel, more like uh, something that you would read as an adult about a young person starting to learn how the world works. Um, but as an adult, that's how it feels at the moment. It doesn't feel like it's... Well, at the moment, you, you're not taking the voice of a, a young adult, as in someone between the age of 12 and 18 or 19, and yeah. um, telling their story. So it feels more like something like The Go-Between or some, a, a story yeah. where you're yeah, yeah. you're looking back on it and you, with your experience, are reading uh, this. Mm. So that's... Um, that's probably actually not what you asked me, Peter. But, well, that's um, all right. <laughs> it's more interesting than what I asked you in any case. It always is from you, Bella. But um, <laughs> as general advice, right, is it important for the, the writer to have a reader firmly in mind or can they just write expressively? I think they can write expressively for whoever they want to write for, but it will eventually have to be put somewhere and you do have to as a publisher yeah. we have to you know as a children's publisher sometimes i get frustrated by the uh, markations demarcations there are between middle grade and upper middle grade and blah 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 teen ya but at the same time a bookseller has to know where to put it in their shop so yes mm -hmm. think about you know you write the story you want to write mm -hmm. and you do have to think about who's going to read it in terms of whether it's a child or an adult yeah. um so, yeah, but you will find your voice. And they're often, sorry, I'm now going on for ages, but often you no, start no, writing one way and it turns into something else. And I think perhaps this is what's happened here. You think yeah. you're telling a, a young person's story, but actually perhaps you're telling an adult yes. looking back on it. Yes, so. that's right, actually. I, I, I can always see this. I can always see the manga and maybe the animation. Uh, there's a question from, oh, was it, was it Mel? I've missed it, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mel wants to know, and uh, Bella, maybe you can you can feel this. Is there a genre after YA 
but before mainstream adult. There is oh, there's an American one, isn't there? There's new adult. New adult. How do we how yeah, do we feel about new adult? I'm not. I, I, the thing is, so many um, adults read young adults. I'm not sure there's need for a new adult. Yeah. Otherwise, we, you're almost saying, well, then one can let people in their thirties or post-family or you know, whatever, or menopause. Yeah. You know, it, I don't think you can <laughs> sort of do that. It, it's it's got a little bit broader than that. So I'm not sure about new adult. I, I yeah. understand the, the con- concept, but it hasn't really taken off either. So yeah yeah so hannah says this feels more adult than new adult and uh, i mean my own feeling for what it's worth is i would i would go down a bit in in the age range actually because I, I got the feeling there's a classic at, at work there um let's have a look at the numbers you've got a 67 will um very good start um Andy thinks it's pretty commercial. Just going going through the numbers really quickly. The Genius Room, who frankly, I mean, they represent the buying public in any case, and they're always right, never wrong. And they they like the craft a lot. So you should feel quite pleased with that, I think, Will. Quite pleased. Any questions, just just ask straight away. Uh, Live in real time, we'll do our very best to answer. There you go. Thank you, Will. And thank you, David, lowercase, E. Cummings Touch here, uh, for this, which is very clear. It's middle grade and it's fantasy. That's very straightforward. We <clears throat> kind of like that, actually. It, it orientates us, doesn't it? It points us in the right commercial direction. And the title here is also really interesting. What lies inside the rootless tree? Another, I think, highly creative title. Let's see what the genie, I think, and of course, Bella. This is... David's blurb. Reuben Ginsbury was not born on Earth. To protect his magical powers, he was smuggled from a city in an alien world known as the Rootless Tree. Wow. And adopted by an English family. When the tree was invaded by a dangerous spirit, it sought the boy's power to save the city and breathe life back into its bark. The spirit sent spies to Earth to kidnap him, and as Reuben struggled to avoid capture, he had to face the choice between the home he knew and loved and the world which needed him. All right. So this is just absolutely fascinating about me, biotype thing. Um, And this is what David writes. During my work as a barrister, I represented a young girl who had run away from home because her parents threatened to keep her inside a tree as a punishment. How about that? When they were imprisoned, when they were imprisoned, (laughs) as the parents, my God, uh, she was able to change her lifestyle and keep out of trouble. The case inspired me to write this book and is one of a number of stories from my work which has influenced my writing. How interesting. So the interplay between real life and fiction, uh, and I, I, I see, I see where you're going with it, and I love the title already, and I know I'm going to love this reading from Emily. What lies inside the rootless tree? By David, read by Emily, Chapter One: The Bear on the Train. It was the most peculiar sight. Reuben Ginsbury watched the gold chain on his wrist wriggle and turn in circles faster and faster until he felt a bit giddy. 
Then just as suddenly it stopped. How can you do that? He said, as if he expected an answer. Yesterday, it had been so tight it had pinched the skin on the back of his hand, but now on his tenth birthday it had changed and moved easily. It was a mystery he had never understood. As he had grown, so had the chain and the key attached to it. It's a puzzle, all right, his chemistry teacher said when Reuben had questioned him about it. He had asked his friends, neighbours and even a policeman, but nobody could explain how or why the chain kept getting bigger. Mum, it's happened again. He took a plastic ruler and measured the key. In his notebook, a year earlier, he had written a quarter of an inch. Now it had stretched to one inch and long enough, he thought, to open the lock on the drawer in his bedside table. Let's see if it works. He leaned forwards to put the key in, but as he did so, it felt as if something was blocking his hand. It didn't matter how hard he pushed. As soon as the key was within touching distance of the lock, it stopped in mid-air and would not budge. Mum, what's wrong with this key? Rubes, there's no time for larking around, she said, stepping into his bedroom. We'll be late if you don't hurry. But how did it get like this? He was making a grunting noise as the key kept resisting him. I really don't know. It was tied to your hand when you arrived. She hesitated at the doorway and watched the key suspended in the boy's hand. Her memory was clear. It was a gift that had come with an envelope marked Confidential. Inside was a box without a lid, wrapped in a letter which read, Dear Keepers, this will open at the correct time. Only then will you know all about this child. Reuben's parents had no idea what it meant or what they should do, so they agreed to keep it locked away until the time came to talk about his adoption. Hurry up, the taxi'll be here soon. Don't worry about the mess. I'll tidy up after you've gone. He kept twiddling the chain as he struggled to pull his sleeve over the key and fastened the button, then stuffed books and comics he'd been given as birthday presents into his satchel. Are you ready? We don't want to miss your train, she called out from the front door. OK, I'm coming. And holding the satchel, which was quite heavy, he ran from his room down two long flights of stairs to the hallway and along the front path to the waiting car. By the time he squeezed onto the back seat, his chest had begun to feel sore and he was wheezing. Is it bad again? His mum placed a rucksack packed with clothes on his knee. Turning to watch the streets rush past as the taxi gathered speed, he nodded and breathed in noisily. I wish you didn't have to go away. The sensation of butterflies in his tummy reminded him how nervous he felt about leaving home. I hope it won't be for too long. But why do you have to go? Don't worry, you'll be fine. Nan and Pops are looking forward to seeing you. But I don't really know them. I was only two the last time they saw me. You've got everything, haven't you? She put three red apples in a satchel. It wasn't easy to get these, so make sure you eat them before they go off. By the time they reached the platform, plumes of smoke were folding their way along the carriages and the noise of piercing whistles filled the air. Everything will be okay, she said, brushing curls of hair off his forehead. Don't forget to keep a diary so I can read all about the adventures you get up to. With your imagination, you're bound to have fun. Thank you very much, Emily. And for our fans of Emily's narration, and who's not, uh, you'll be pleased to say there's going to be another one uh, before the end of the show.
uh, straight to the genius room. Uh, reactions to the title. Hannah straight away says, I like this title a lot. Mel says, great title. Uh, Johnny says, sounds quite Japanese again. He does. It's, it, it's got that sort of slightly title and translation feel to it. Interesting blurb, says Annie. It should be in present tense. LA uh, says, sounds a little like Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yeah, it is. It is, isn't it? And Terry says, more of a blopsis than a blurb. You see, those neologisms that just come uh, effortlessly to the genii. <laughs> Uh, Pamela Joe, not born on Earth, but there are trees. The blurb needs to connect. A few more dots to be effective. Uh, blurb's a bit confusing to me, says Vagabond, which is really what Pamela was saying too, Glenn. I like both the title and the blurb, Matt. Pronouns a bit off on the blurb. Intriguing blurb, says Hannah. Monsieur Dupré says, yeah, I'm confused too. And Barbara says, Avatar meets the Wombles. <laughs> And Glenn adds, oh, scary shit being locked into a tree. Fascinating. Looking forward to this. It is. It's, I, I've, I mean, I don't do pre jokes I've slightly got the origin myth is bigger in my mind than the, the actual story. I don't know if that's good or bad. Andy? Um, yeah, I really like the title. I thought it's, yes, there's something about this really sweet and interesting. Uh, I did think the blurb was confusing. There was, a, I think, the second sentence. He was smuggled from a city in an alien world and and just something about that just, just just stuck with me and I couldn't really get past that to be honest. So from there I just I guess just got a little bit confused. The formatting is quite dense. Um, yeah, yeah. I think my main problem here, and, and this is probably just as as is so often the case, me being an idiot, but I think your chapter title in, in this case it, it just because because we're we're we need to find our feet really quite quickly with this. Um, the, the chapter title, which was, I think was, was a bear on a train. Yes. I was expecting it to be on a train. Yes. And maybe a bear. Being a very literal no, no. mind, you see, that's the trouble. <laughs> that, that's journalist for you. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, so then, then when the, 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 the stuff about the chain and the key, which I thought was quite nice, um, I think it needs to be rendered a little bit better than that. But I think, I think it's quite a nice hook. But I, I was so busy finding my feet, um, I found it a little bit difficult. I think you've head hopped maybe a little bit when you're talking about the mother. You said her memory was clear. So suddenly we're out of the kid and into the mother. I'd be a bit hmm. wary of that. There's definite echoes of Harry Potter in it, which is fine <clears throat> by yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and then and then obviously when you're talking about you know, three red apples going into his satchel, suddenly on the steam train, I'm now beginning to figure out, wonder where we are in history as well, which yeah. again is fine. I just say, I guess in summary, I'd say we're having to work quite hard to keep up with you, so maybe make things a little bit clearer or easier for us uh, yeah. at some point if you can. Uh, that's all great stuff, Bella. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Andy said it all. Um, I completely agree. There, uh, one thing I wanted to say at the beginning, though, uh, is that although I think it is a little confusing and needs some more uh, clarity, I thought there were some really, really lovely moments of voice in it, and mm. I thought actually that middle grade um, age. It, it really hits the note, but the, he the head hopping, the lack of context, um, it means that it's it's difficult to understand. And I think yeah. that's why we get put down. And also with that blurb, I really didn't, um, I just, uh, again, I got really foxed like Andy did. I just couldn't keep it in my head. So, um, yeah. yeah, I, I really yeah, okay, a lot. So, I mean, I, 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 I so agree, actually, Mel, there is definitely, an HP feel to this. It's sort of like a London sort of smog, isn't it? It's just what's sort of, over there really taints everything. Does uh, does Harry Potter? Um, 
Uh, Monsieur Dupree says, I bet the bear shows up later on the train after he opens the box. <laughs> it probably does. Uh, Andy is saying, Pamela Joe's reviewed you, Andy, and found you to be uh, magnificent. Andy is saying, what well, I was thinking so much better than I could. So that's that's also been why I was stupid that she gave me. <laughs> Ah, uh, what's the John Irving story about bear on a train? I don't know. If there wasn't, there probably will be soon. And Mr. Um, Dupre said, I didn't even notice the head hop. That's the thing about head hopping. If you notice it, if it jars you out of the story, it's bad. If, if, if you don't notice it, it's all right. Get away with it. Um, Alexa, but what? Sorry, sorry, go on. Go on, um, uh, Andy. Oh, well, I think that was a ghost in the machine, wasn't it? It wasn't me. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, testing, testing. Uh, Hannah says, I'd enjoy that. I'd read on. Okay. All the votes are in. Let's look at the numbers. 63. 63. And I think there's general agreement, actually. If you look at the uh, the votes, Bella wasn't wild about the title, but Andy liked it. I liked it. It's probably one of those titles that's going to divide people. Can you remember it, really? I, 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 will I remember it tomorrow? Yeah, I think I probably would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good. I th I think we should. We're on a running streak, a uh, winning streak. Uh, should we do some more f uh, fish shitting, or should we see, see, see the next submission? I think we should see the next submission. Here we go. Here we go. Submission number three. It's from David. Um, there's a this QR code there too. You should always send us um, a website link or something like that. Uh, it could be your Twitter thing or facebook if you want but send us a link because we like to we like to promote it's always a good idea why a psychological thriller oh yeah i fancy that watering the seeds of guilt <sighs> yeah here's the blur when a notorious serial killer implicates 18 year old alexis duval in her sister's death moments before his execution she must confront the role she played in her sister's disappearance 11 years earlier if she's to clear conscience and her name well and david says i am a licensed professional engineer with more than two decades of technical writing experience over the past several years i've found my passion in fiction writing i've written three novels to date and i'm currently working on a fourth i'm a member of the society of children's book writers and illustrators uh, whose acronym i can never pronounce actually it's like like a hungarian word really to, yeah exactly I, 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 how would you say that then andy they call themselves scoobies don't they Scooby, yeah. Scoobies. That's that's that's. I, I I don't like that at all. It's not Scooby. Where's the W? Uh, where I co-lead the shop talk for the Central New York chapter. Fantastic. Even more fantastic, I think, will be this reading from my hand. Watering the seeds of guilt, by David. Read by Hannah. Chapter 1 So this is what the witness room at an execution looks like. Bare walls round us, the colour of Dad's teeth. Not quite white, though they probably were at one time. Two rows of grey chairs, uniformly spaced, practically touching, just like the strangers seated in them. Isolated, but connected. In front of the cramped room, 
Four square windows offer a view of the tacky midnight blue curtain hanging in the adjacent room. And on the other side of the curtain is Bill Lawrence, the man who killed my sister 11 years ago. The man we're about to witness draw his last breath. Mum would kill me if she knew I was distracted by the decor. I can't help it though. It cheapens this moment for me. At any minute, the curtain will part dramatically. The man who killed Victoria and six other girls will be unveiled like a prized catch. Someone will inevitably gasp aloud. Someone else will sob. And I'll just sit, quietly fidgeting with the strap of my wristlet, wishing I was anywhere else. I'm probably the only one here who doesn't want him dead. I'm not done with him yet. Alexis! Mum whisper yells at me as I pull out my phone. What? I point at the observation window. The curtain's still closed. I don't hide my annoyance, even though I know I should. Mum's been on edge since the moment she woke up this morning. And every day for the past 11 years, leading up to that moment. Mum leans in front of Dad and speaks through gritted teeth. Show some respect for your sister. Heat rises in my cheeks as I slide the phone back into my wristlet. I do this for Mum. Victoria wouldn't care. When this is all over, she'll still be gone. Meanwhile, Bill Lawrence will get the easy way out, quick and painless. My sister wasn't as fortunate. Neither were the other six girls he stole from their families, their futures all brutally erased. And what does this monster get? A sleeping potion. There's no justice in that. That's like an eyelash for an eye. He shouldn't be put down like a cherished family pet. He should be kept in a cell with photos of his victims scrolling on an endless loop for the rest of his miserable life. But I can't think about it anymore. The debate has already dominated our family dinners and put my parents on different sides of a wall. I'm not sure their marriage will survive this. One more death to pin on Bill Lawrence. Dad folds his long fingers around my hand and squeezes. This must be strange for him. Victoria wasn't even his daughter. Yet circumstances landed him in the audience for an execution of the state's most notorious killer in decades. Now he sits between mum and me, who are separated by so much more than a narrow chair. How are you holding up, Lex? Dad's question is a simple one, with no simple answer. I suppose that depends on his last words. Mum shoots me a sideways glance. What on earth would make you say that? Don't you want to hear what he has to say before he's executed? No. Her answer is reflexive and devoid of emotion. I just want him gone. But what if he? He's not going to say where she's buried, so just drop it. She stares straight ahead, jaw clenched. I cross my arms and ram my back against the chair. Dropping it means giving up. I'll never give up on Victoria. I owe it to her to find her remains. I owe her a lot more than that, actually. 
but there's no way I can atone for what I've done. She's dead because of me. Thank you. I cannot believe. I honestly, I honestly th think in my head I said this reading by Hannah, but I'm reliably informed I said Emily, in which case, uh, deepest apologies. But I, I, I thought I said, I really thought I said Hannah. Um, I'm scouring the genius room to find any negative comments. Uh, there are one or two questions that we'll uh, undoubtedly throw to to Bella in a moment, but just to try and summarize positive reaction here. Um, from the top, Matt says, why a psych thriller? Cool niche. Intriguing title, says Monsieur Dupré. Uh, Johnny, interesting premise. Vagabond Heart, nice, succinct blur. Great blurb, says LA. James, grabby title. Want to know how you water guilt? Yes, and how you fertilise it, indeed. I like the idea, uh, says Matt. Eva, all good titles so far. This is no exception. I really like it. Coming from Eva, that's something. Um, Terry says, good opening line. Uh, and Lex says, great opening, just enough detail to set the scene. Bravo, colour of dad's teeth, love it, says Mal. Wow, says L.A. Thomas, I'm loving this. Nice, creepy opening, Matt. Lex doesn't want him dead, I'm not done with him yet, quote, quote from the piece. Fantastic, in uppercase. Uh, Vagabond likes the economy of writing. Uh, Monsieur Dupré, appreciate the mundane observations in this serious context. Fine opening, says James. I feel the anticipation. Oh, I mean, just got lots of good comments here from the, the genius room. The questions arise. Matt says, really dark. And it is dark, isn't it? Does YA go dark like this? Uh, why, um, Hannah says, YA can go very dark. Terry says, if I'd picked a, a book up in Waterstones and read this opening, I would already be heading for the till, which is brilliant. Um, I think we need to hear from Bella. Um, I think, uh, read a title, I'm not so keen on it, um, but I think the mm. story itself and the blurb is very intriguing. And the writing is absolutely that voice that he, he's called that YA voice immediately. Mm. And I think that was so successfully, brilliantly done. Um, it is very dark. YA can go dark. And I think young people, young teens like to read really terrible things um it's not necessarily something i'd want to read i think because i'm yeah. but i'm intrigued to know what happened intrigued to know how at the age of seven she can have been involved um yes. i think the, the voice was just so brilliantly put together and the, the, some of the writing was really wonderful so i really liked it I'd fantastic liked it. yeah um i don't know say really um i agree mm. i i don't know i don't know that i'd i'd want to go out with that title no, I think it not for this type of book either. Yeah. It feels too emotional in a way. Um, it doesn't feel like a YA title. Thing, yeah. yeah. Sorry, no. go on. Go on, Bella. Uh, well, just one other thing, sorry about oh. that start, is that um, I, th I think the, the voice was so fantastic. Um, I w did wonder whether there should be a little more emotion about actually what has happened to yeah. her sister. It felt like that was really being kept away from, but I think that has to come in perhaps yeah. a little bit more. But again, you know, the, yeah. it's something that could be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's catch up. Uh, LA says even lose the, the seeds of guilt. Maybe, maybe seeds of guilt. I don't know about that. It doesn't. It doesn't feel very YA to me. Don't like the title. Says vagabond. Um, as much as others do, but just seeds of guilt. Um, you did say Hannah. Great dramatic reading. I did say that. Good, good. Phew. <laughs> This is fantastic, says Lex. I want to know how the story goes. I did say Hannah. I thought I said Hannah. Okay. <laughs> it's the voices in my head. Andy, what did you think? 
Yeah, this was great, wasn't it? Um, I think I, I agree with, with what yourself and Bella are saying about the title. I think compared to the complexity of what you've managed to write, the title was a bit like being hit over the head with a mallet by Morrissey, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's just too <laughs> grim. It's too depressing, too grim, yes. too dark. And yes. I, I think you know, I think this, this piece is worthy of a, of a more subtle, poetic title than that. But I just... I, I, I gave up writing notes in the end because I was just so swept away with what you're writing. They're, oh, that's great. They're kind of, they're, they're, like I said, your, your voice is, 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 is she's, she's spiky, she's intense, she's bright, she's, she's too big for her boots. She's gone through something so ridiculously traumatic. She's angry at her mum. She's, you know, she's sympathetic to her dad. You've got so much going on there and it's all great stuff. Um, we definitely want to read on. Yes, you know, I'll always end up saying, yeah, it'd be nice to have a joke somewhere. But ultimately, we are about to watch someone being executed who murdered your sister. So, yes. you know, no, I, and I we just know, and, we, was, and we actually do know what his last words are, don't we? More or less. And it's, it's pointing the finger, which I think is great, actually. Yeah. That's a brilliant hook, isn't it? The blurb, it's, it's a long sentence. I'd be tempted with the blurb just to break it up into two sentences yeah. uh, to get that message across. But yeah, but yeah I love the craft of it. Um, yeah, well done, brother. Fantastic. Numbers look like 77. I knew it was going to be high, and that is a high high score for pop-ups. You've got a solid 77. Uh, you can see the title generally does not meet with our approbation, uh, but everything else does, actually. So, David, I hope you're very pleased with that. I'm going to write that down because I think potentially we've got a show winner that, although we do have two more submissions, of course. Um, and who knows, maybe even a monthly winner. I don't know, but I do know right now we need to do this. book.latopia.com that's a link type it into your browser right now for the next seven days and see where it takes you hint it may take you to a page where you can buy this book by another friend of the show actually louisa reed who of course is published by bella so when, when is this coming out bella this is out next thursday thursday coming okay Okay, and we've we've got a bit of a log line already on the front. I am a flag-flying, lie-defying, freedom-fighting activist. Can you give us a bit of the uh, the background? Absolutely. It's a first novel, another verse novel from Louisa. She's a brilliant verse novelist. Um, it's young adult, and it is about the Everyone's Invited movement. You remember the um, website that was set up by yeah. um, girls who suffered sexual abuse, and it has yes. taken that... Um, story and put it into this extraordinary story about a particular girl called Cassie who stands up for the wrongs um, that her school is not standing up for. So, um, yes. Someone posts on a website and the story goes from there. And Cassie and her friends must stand up for um, you know, women's rights. Also, there's an environmental theme as well within it. But it's a hugely powerful, impactful book with this wonderful, broad mm. central character. Um, it's about how to stand up for, your, for what you feel is right um, and actually act on it and be so, a good activist. Sounds like a winner. Um, sounds like a winner to me. It's pressing all the right buttons at the moment. Possibly Liz, Liz Trust and Sula Braverman may not like like this, but <laughs> no, all, all the better. All the better. Um, 
talking about uh, tackling the sexual abuse and mis misogyny endemic in secondary schools. This is a novel about activism in all its forms, about speaking out and standing up for what's right. Again, controversial topic. Let's talk about, a bit more about that. I mean, how comfortable are you publishing controversial material? Um, when I think it's um, treated in the right way, I'm very happy to yeah. publish controversial material. I mean, something like this, I'm sure it may be upsetting to some people, but I, I shouldn't think so. I mean, Louisa has treated the subject with such um, wisdom and with such passion, and it is full of um, it's, it's full of how that you should behave in the right way. And but yes, yeah. this is not something that some perhaps our governments and sometimes people, you know, a lot of this yeah. is about people who are in uh, positions where they should be responsible and yeah. acting in the right way, and they're not. Um, mm. And I'm fully behind any kind of book. I, I think anything can be talked about in young adult books as long as it, it is done in the right way. So, yeah. so what, what happens if this get, gets banned in libraries then as a result of political pressure? Is that good news or not so good news? Well, I suppose there's a sort of publicity in that, isn't there? But I mean, I, it, yeah. it's, not, it's not good news. I mean, absolutely not. Hmm. Um, and I, um, I hope not. Well, hopefully not in this country. I mean, it may well if it gets published in America, it may well be yeah, uh, an issue there. Mm. Yeah. There we go. That is uh, that's a book I think we all need to look at. And of course, actually, sorry, just just come back to you actually, Bill. So you said first novel, but actually, Louise has, has written previously. But can you? It's 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 really oh, verse, isn't it? Sorry, yeah, third, yeah. Third first novel. First third novel, not first yeah. novel. Yeah, 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 got it. Excellent. It's Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, there you go. Book.latopia.com. For the next seven days, please go there and press the buy button. How very cool that is. And hopefully, hopefully this is as cool. I don't know. It's from Lisa Marie. It might be. It's children slash MG slash horror. Ooh. It's called The Mutt. Do you like that title? Do you? I don't know. Let's see. In the mutt, Alice Adams finds a stuffed dog in her mother's antique shop. It's cursed. And although it was sent to harm her and her family, she's able to turn it into a friend. This angers the spirit who cursed it, and Alice, Maggie, her mother, and the mutt have to fight the spirit and destroy it before it can destroy them. The book was written as the first story in the series, all depicting Alice Adams, 11-year-old, and the mutt, a taxidermid dog she finds and bonds with. Let me tell everyone about you, Lisa Marie. I have over 40 short stories published in recent 2011 onwards anthologies. Um, I started writing in my late teens. Very good. But despite getting a first in creative writing at university, it's only in the past few years that I've begun to write more seriously with the aim of publication. I thank my daughter for this. It was during my pregnancy that I decided I should do something rather than sit around with my swollen feet up. I think there's, there's every reason to sit around with your swollen feet up, actually. If you get the opportunity to do that, I think you should do it. <laughs> I'm now a freelance writer, and I write blogs, articles, product descriptions, and much more for a variety of clients. Great. And this reading from Jeff will also be great. The Protector's Book 1, The Mutt, by Elisa Marie, read by Jeff. Chapter one. My name is William Garras. I'm 90 years old. This, a cough, rocked the old man's body 
back and forth, allow him to move much more than he usually could. It was not a pleasant experience. He ate. He was tired. He knew he was dying. Look, Mr. Gaddis, we don't have to do this now. I can come back. These words came from a much younger man, although he never considered himself young these days. Still, there was at least 40 years between the two of them, and despite his words, the younger man didn't know if he could come back. Or rather, he didn't know if Gaddis would be alive if and when he did. But he couldn't make the old man talk, couldn't make him work, couldn't make him. Didn't need to. No, Mr. Connolly, that's the very point. I must update my will, and I must do it now. Another coughing fit. When he was done, Gaddis collapsed back down onto his bed. The expensive mattress, complete with a memory foam topper and non-allergenic pillows with their handcuff covers made by hermits from Alaska or some other such rubbish, if Connolly remembered rightly, doing nothing to ease his pain. Connolly sighed. Money may make the world go around, but it did nothing to help at the end. Not really. Plus, he didn't want to be in this room. It smelled strange, as though the air was being replaced with poison, and it felt cold, no matter how fiercely the fire played in the grate. Okay, okay, let's continue. Do you need a drink? Connolly started to pour some water into a glass from a jug that sat on the bedside table, hand-carved one of a kind. With a display of strength that surprised both of them, Gadder swiped the glass and sent it tumbling through the air. It landed harmlessly on the thick, soft carpet, the water spinning out like a pool of blood. It looked almost pretty, the way it left a darker pool, a strange and unknown shape behind it, and Connolly stared at it for far longer than he needed to. He sighed again and ran his hand across his bald head, a habit from when he had hair, thick, blonde hair, as a young man. He brought his hand down over his sagging cheeks, flecked with stubble, down his stringy neck, and over his silk tie, which he smoothed out, although it needed no smoothing. My name is William Gaddis, and I'm ninety years old. This is my last will and testament. The old man spoke for some time, longer than Connie had ever heard him speak before. He talked about houses in the country and abroad, about yachts and cars, about the many different bank accounts he had, all containing millions, and about the children he liked and those he didn't. He spoke about his dog. The dog was dead, of course. Had been for some time. No man had loved that dog more than any of his many children, even the ones he quite liked. And when it died, he had it stuffed, taxidermied. Now it sat, staring at him, tongue lolling. Was that normal? Would a taxidermied dog have a tongue that looked quite so wet? What is the problem now, Connolly? Asked Gaddis suddenly. Connolly started back to what he was meant to be doing. The old man glared at him, flecks of spittle foaming around his mouth. His nose had started to bleed. Clearly, this was getting too much for him, all this talking, and yet he was still going. No problem, Mr. Callis, said Connolly. He shivered and played with his tie again. The laptop he was typing into was the only warmth in the room, and it was a bright spark of too hot heat burning the top of his legs. Only he Dead move to ease his discomfort. You're looking at the must again, aren't you? Connie couldn't deny it. He nodded. Sorry, sir. Shall we continue? I think I'm done. Don't you? Asked Gaddis. 
Thank you very, very much, Jeff. Uh, Matt says, I was looking forward to the story in the blurb. This isn't taking us to that place. Uh, I wonder if that's a general feeling. We'll find out in a moment. Title doesn't really say anything, says Hannah. Um, feel like the blurbs are... Uh, yeah, if I could want saying this too. Feel like the blurb is a read sold as a whole story. James likes the blurb. Matt says, great blurb. Stuffed animals always look kind of grim to me, says Johnny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, I don't know, hard to emotionally invest a bit, really. Stuffed animals are looking like that all the time, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the blurb doesn't work for me, says Pamela Joe. Too much information, more like a synopsis. I felt that, that too, actually. Um, it says, YA horror, great niche. Quite an interesting blurb, says Eva, with enough tension. Um, it's oh, so many great things. I'm going to let you read. Why, why shouldn't why shouldn't you have absolute total access to the, the genius room that's what we we want i thought we we're going to start with finding the dog in the shop says la um and johnny says as others have mentioned uh this is not the place to begin there you go taxidermid says <laughs> monsieur dupray and start with the 11 we've got such yeah they're rewriting your book now um, and why not uh, james says start with the 11 year old and then the stuffed animal and uh, Matt says, um, so LA says, so he's ignoring his nosebleed. And Matt says, bingo, Bev, this opens the wrong place. Great story here. Get to it. And Hannah says, I loved Bagpuss. <laughs> I guess that's a stuffed animal, but not, not a, a taxidermid animal. I get the difference now. Very interesting. What did you think there, Andy? Um, I like the title a lot. Um, I, I enjoyed the blurb. It made me think, oh, this is going to be Poltergeist for kids. Yeah. I was watching a documentary last night and I had clips of Poltergeist on it and it reminded me how much I love Poltergeist. So yes, I'm definitely up for that. And then I think everything <laughs> that, that's in the genius room sort of sort of says it all, doesn't it? Um, yeah. There, there, there's stuff going on here that is that is really good. I'm just not sure it's in the right place. You know, I, do we, is this an omnipotent voice we're listening to because I'm not quite sure who we're really focusing on we've got an old man who wants to say something i'm not quite sure he ever actually does say anything the mm. description of his cough in like the second line is brilliant lovely and and i think you've got some there's some really good observations all over this but i'm not sure where we are and i'm not sure why we're there and at the end of it when you start finally talking about the dog I mean, uh, you know, and, and there's, there's, and then that, that line, would, would a taxidermy dog have a tongue that was so wet? You know, you, I'm, I'm back in, I'm back, I'm back in the room. I, I realise this is where I want to be, but I'm not quite sure whether this was the route to get me there. And I'm then thinking, is this really a prologue? And now, then, then I'm wondering, is this actually a setup for what happens next? If so, and, and I might be wrong in that assumption anyway, but maybe look at Gremlins because Gremlins has yeah. a setup like that with yeah. his dad walking into mr miyagi's shop and and you know and finding gizmo and right from the top he's saying i want to buy this for my son i need to get you know something great for my son for christmas so that threads us through it so it's sort of like a prologue but it sort of isn't because it sets up gremlins from then on in with the three rules and everything else so maybe yes. that will be a go-to place to get yourself out of the tangle which i think you might be in yes I can't fault that. Very good advice, I think, uh, Bella. 
Well, I, I agreed uh, with it. I really like the title and I like the concept um, of the blurb. I would, just one little thing about the blurb is I would say I would be careful and about saying it's the start of a long series. I, I mean, yeah. definitely if it's got potential, but I think that can be off-putting to someone if that's your sort of intention. Just concentrate mm. on this book and see where it goes. But the, the thing that really makes me... It, it, I found it quite hard to judge in terms of the um, numbers because... Uh, I thought the writing was really good, but it's just started in the wrong place. And I think if I if mm. I if that came into me, I would just say get yeah. rid of the first chapter and let's start chapter two, mm. um, because I, it's a shame almost to have seen this bit because I I wanted to see the proper story and yeah. I, I think you can just get rid of all this. I, I just you need to go in and get this can come out within the story itself. But a yeah. child doesn't want to hear two old men talking for a whole no, chapter. No, not at all. No, no I, 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 I think that's what I Yeah, and... Uh, it's oh, a shame gosh. because I think some of the writing is really good as well. So it was a shame to have seen that section, I think. Yeah. So Alex says, based on that advice, that would be uh, Andy's advice. This could be marketed as gremlins crossed with pound puppies. Oh, sounds commercial to me. <laughs> and Pamela Jo says, the haunted taxidermy dog. I don't know why that makes me laugh, but I'm the kind of guy who loves at fish shitting. Um, yeah, so I don't know about this really. Um, I'm, you know, I've, one interesting test I, I realised actually that like putting the show today uh, together today was some submissions I I just slip into and just and, and start reading like an, a, a normal reader, and others I don't quite. I, you know, I feel like oh, I've got to you know remember to give marks for the title and the and the blurb, and it's 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 those submissions that kind of seduce you into just being an ordinary reader and thinking oh this is good. How, you know, what happens next? Those are those are the successful ones, I think. Let's see how the numbers work out for you, Lisa Marie. You got a solid sixty, and a uh, title actually, yeah. People, people apart from apart from me and the genius room, I'm on the right side here. I'm on the side of the genius room. Not wild about the title, but we we can live with it. Um, yeah, and you got some great advice there from Bella. So hopefully, Lisa Marie, you're happy. And we have one more submission to see if you can beat the... I tell you, I tell you, well, let's, look at the, let's look at the uh, scorecard, make sure everything's above board. So there we are, four submissions in. Pretty high-scoring show, actually, but clearly David's Watering the Seeds of Guilt title is not particularly good, and you can see that reflected there. The green ones are the high scores so far. Um, clearly, he's he's in a well-nigh impregnable position, I would say, but maybe I won't be saying that in a couple of minutes' time. Last submission of the day from Gemma is a chapter book. Hmm, don't get too many of those. That kind of means uh, sort of seven to 10, doesn't it? That's sort of eight, nine, 10, that sort of readership. The Lost Magic of Spellwind. The Lost Magic of Spellwind. Lex's destiny is to be a fortune teller. She has two problems with this. Firstly, she's useless at it, conjuring up the wrong spells and getting into a lot of trouble. Secondly, the only person who can help train her is Wizard Darwin. But he's turned his back on magic after the big incident at the Magic Awards. <laughs> oh, it's a bit HP, isn't it? Can Lexi get the Great Wizard to train her before she's kicked out of 
of Trixie's training academy and is forced to join the shadow colony for children whose destinies aren't met. Ah, I think I, I went there. Most Asians did. Um, find out about you, Gemma. I've been writing books and stories since I was at school. And since having my now four-year-old, I've found a passion for writing children's stories. The adventure and fantasy element of children's stories has piqued my interest in my spare time between looking after two under fives. Do you have any spare time? I freelance for clients in London doing web design and copywriting. You are a busy person, aren't you? And here we are. I'm, I'm definitely going to get the attribution of the narration right this time. This is our second and wonderful uh, narration from Emily. The Lost Magic of Spellwin by Gemma Read by Emily Chapter 1 Welcome to Trixie's Training Academy. This tutorial will guide you through your time with us. Blah, blah, blah. Lexi tutted impatiently, skimming through the heavy silver-encrusted manual resting heavily on her lap. You'll be given the golden opportunity to learn your destiny at the Grand Ceremony during your first term with us. There, just there, that's where it all went wrong for me, Lexi declared throwing her hands up in the air and knocking over her glowworm lamp. A fortune teller who either tells the wrong fortunes or conjures up disasters. Just look at what happened to yesterday with the enlightening casting spell. I mixed up the phoenix feathers with pigeon feathers and bam! Disaster! My mixing bowl set on fire. I don't know how many more chances I'll get before something bad happens. Really, Lexi, you're very dramatic, Maya said, picking the lamp up and setting it on the makeshift table shaped like a toadstool beside Lexi's grassy bed. You just need direction and more concentration, Maya said, looking pointedly at the lamp. Nothing bad will happen. I'm sure the rumours aren't true. Lexi shut her eyes. Maya didn't have to explain any further. Everyone knew about the rumours, not that she tried to listen to gossip. Whispers hung in the air of the whereabouts of the undesired children. It was said that those who didn't meet their destinies were sent to the Shadow Colony, she cast the dreaded thoughts away. The girls were huddled together during mentor hour in Lexi's room. It was two weeks into the first term and Lexi didn't have the first clue how to mentor poor Maya. Each second year student was paired with a newbie to the academy to mentor and help and poor Maya had been paired with her. If anything, it was Lexi that desperately needed help, not Maya who seemed to be reciting the manual to her at any given opportunity. She cast her eyes towards where Maya's petite frame was perched on the edge of Lexi's bed. Her blue eyes sparkled against her chocolate skin, thin arms wrapped around her slender legs. The two had become fast friends in the short time they'd known each other. They were different in every way. Maya was calm and thoughtful, whereas Lexi was hurried and impatient, but that somehow balanced the girls out. I don't know how accurate the predictions are. I think they must have gotten mine wrong, Lexi said, running her finger down the worn page. I'm just not fortune-teller material. I should have been a wood-turner or a forager. I thought the destinies were meant to match a person's skill. I wonder what my destiny will be, Maya said dreamily. You have a few choices. A healer, a projector, skilled worker, land person, protector. Or like me, a fortune-teller, Lexi said, rolling her eyes. Fortune-tellers are the best, Maya said. Don't tell my sister that. She's a projector and nothing else competes. Believe me. Lexi said quietly, her snow-white hair falling across her small egg-shaped face. She pushed her short hair out of her eyes, cross she hadn't made time to do her usual two thick plaits. Her signature style was plaits at the front of her hair to keep her locks in place, 
paired with a white feathered trimmed coat and a simple pair of leggings. Some girls went to a lot of trouble with their appearance, but Lexi preferred simple and stylish. Maya, in contrast, wore outlandishly loud colours and wild patterns, mostly animal prints, which Lexi would never dream of wearing. The mighty Anna. Everyone's heard of her. I guess it's hard living in her shadow, Maya asked, noticing the darkness that had fallen over Alexi's downcast face. So, if you could choose, what would you pick? Lexi said, changing the subject. A loud bell chimed before Maya had the chance to answer. Saved by the bell. What class do you have now? Lexi asked. Woodturning. You? Spells. Wish me luck. I'm paired with Miss Pointy Shoes for rival casting, Lexi said with a shudder as she waved off her young mentee. Thank you very much, Emily, for that second of the day. And uh, apologies, uh, the uh, the last few uh, lines there were uh, uh, elided. Um, I We just had a technical issue with that earlier today, and sorry about that. I hope it didn't spoil your enjoyment. Let's see what the genii are saying. And uh, the similarity, of course, between uh, our own Lex and Lexi has been noticed immediately. Vagabond says, Lex, you're a star this week. And Glenn says, Lex, have you crossed over? And of course, um, that, that's not appropriate, really, because Lex simply exists in a dimension all of his own, the cryosynclastic infundibulum, otherwise known as time and space and relative dimensions. Great blurb, says L.A., Sounds funny, says James. Matt, title and blurb work. A nice forb um, vibe to this. And finally, all new characters and name for me, says Lex. That's five minutes of fame there. Hannah likes the blurb. Um, words in the title are overused, says Eva. And Johnny questions, uh, the big incident at the Magic Awards, was someone actually sawed in two? <laughs> Um, and then moving on, Lexi Trixie, uh, Monsieur Dupree picks that up and says, ah, too easily confused. Barbara, nice blurb, maybe needs to be snappier. Uh, like the blurb premise, Lex, obviously we have to give him the last word on this. Instead of another chosen one, we have someone both reluctant and not very good at being chosen. Eva says Harry Potter, I'm thinking Harry Potter too. Um, nice voice again, says Johnny. Not well written, says Hannah, but the voice doesn't seem quite right for chapter book age and terry says need some heavy editing um and just picking up good voice we already like lexi says matt good info feed says pamela and vagabond says it's good but want something to make it stand out a bit more from the competition yeah um i wonder actually bella do you see i don't think you'd publish but do you see a lot of sort of manuscripts in the Harry Potter, shall we say, tribute genre? Not so much anymore, actually. Mm. Um, we used to. And in fact, I, I remember once, <laughs> just after Harry Potter had been, really became massive, we got one in called Barry Potter. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> no problems with that, then. No, but not, not so much at the moment. Um, and uh, regarding this one, I felt the voice, as somebody pointed out, the voice didn't seem to fit a chapter book. I'd agree. I mean, this almost felt like young teen, kind of, a, mm. you know, that 10, 12. 
um, yeah. two girls kind of going to boarding school. Um, the, the voice felt too adult, and there was way too much telling for me. I mean, it really everything was told. I felt like we were almost in the. There was so much in the story that we could have found out already and had ex, um, shown to us. Because mm. there were some interesting things, like why was she so happy? It m- reminded me a little of The Worst Witch. That sort of oh yes, you know, that in, was kind of sweet, actually, was wasn't it? Lovely, lovely, yeah. absolutely lovely. But um, this, I didn't feel it was quite aimed at the right age group. Very um, yeah. very adults, and, and also setting the scene. I mean, all the little descriptions you could almost see them in illustrations, but you just didn't need to read them. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it was mixed. Really. Yeah, Johnny, uh, you've, you've just, uh, you're the destroyer of, of dreams today, Bella. Johnny has just shreds his Gary Potter manuscript. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, Andy. Yeah, I agree with what uh, Bella said. I must admit, I haven't in all my years come across the description of chapter book before, so I figured this was probably a middle-grade audience, and that's sort of how it read. Um I thought you had a like a chucklesome little blurb, you know, with your incident at the Magic Awards. That was fun, and and this started off quite chucklesome with someone knocking over the glowworm lamp and all that kind of stuff. But, so I think you've sort of got. I kind of like the voice. I just, I just not sure the voice is telling us the right thing. I think yeah. when you're relating about a, a magic accident that went wrong and you end up blowing up something using pigeon feathers rather than phoenix feathers. I think I think in light of what you've given us, I think I would have preferred it if you just done that scene, really, um, and, and and told us who this was that way, rather than there was a lot of comparing to her friend and, and a lot of the clothes they were wearing, and you know, I think we feel comfortable that you know what this looks like, and I'm sure it will look great, but I'm not sure this is really what you want to be telling us to get us really kind of involved in your. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Ah, uh, very well expressed. Genius room is still going. Alex says, "I'm fine with more Harry Potter inspirations as long as they have a scene where the characters throw darts." <gasps> a Rowling's photo, or oh, at Rowling. Oh, we're not going to cite violence, are we? But oh, yeah, I, I, I know where you're coming from. La Thomas says, "Gary Potter." surely and barbara says johnny right gary potter gary potter sounds good doesn't it and pamela just says mary potter there you go ah oh, i can't keep up with them um so let's look at the numbers now i think everyone's voted you've got a solid 60 there Gemma, and lots of helpful advice i think too actually just from my point of view i, I would need, need this to stand out a bit more if i was to you know find up my publishers i've got this amazing new manuscript from Gemma, um and it's called the lost magic of spell and what's it about how do i sell it i'm not not so sure really i just need i need a bit of distance really between uh, between you and the uh the book that shall not be named um just i just need something a little more original really to stand out having said that of course many of the criticisms are uh, landing the general direction of um uh, Mrs. Rowling, of course, uh, that she wasn't particularly original herself. What is new in any case? Uh, we need to look at the numbers. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? Isn't it? We've got a very clear winner here. Yes. David, you've surpassed yourself. Congratulations, you're 
absolutely great winner. I, I think you've got, you know, almost unmitigated praise from the Genius Room and certainly from our wonderful guests and more of him in a moment. So you should feel very pleased with yourself for that. And I think you're in definitely with a fighting chance uh, of being our monthly winner too. We won't know until uh, next week and the week after that. I just want to say wonderful guests. Thank you for being so wonderful today. And you have been Andy, always solid, a solid pro. He shows me up for the uh, the rank amateur that I am, but I don't mind. I, I can bask in a little reflected glory from, from Andy. And of course, Bella, how wonderful to have you back, Bella. Each time you're on, it's just kind of is a special moment. And you share so generously your accumulated wisdom over the years with children's publishing, something that obviously is your lifetime passion, isn't it? It's nice, yeah. Fantastic. We're honoured to have you on, and I will be delighted if you would join us again same time next Sunday. See you then. Hit it!